Welcome to This Week in Craft Beer, the podcast, the weekly show where we interview the people making the magic happen in the UK craft beer scene, sponsored by Them That Can, the premier mobile canning service in the UK. Commencing as soon as we can travel again, we'll be offering meticulously curated craft beer experiences to the world's most exciting craft beer destinations, in partnership with some of the UK's leading craft breweries. Please visit our website for more details at thisweekincraft.beer. This Week in Craft Beer would like to thank our generous Patreon supporters, John Stevens, Angela Peterson, Nick Flynn, Jamie Ramsey, Sue Johnson, Steve Hartley, Jazz Hundell, Phantom Brewing Company, Dolphin Brewery, Becky Bentley-White, Alex Possels, Berkshire Beer Box, Ryan Charlton, and the Paper Mill Micropub. So I'm absolutely delighted to welcome to the podcast Aaron from Polly's Brew Co, based in Mould, North Wales. Since launching in early 2018, Polly's have grown and adapted to form a small but tight-knit team of six running the day-to-day operations of the brewery. Their motto is to never stop improving, always learning and tweaking the beer designs to create the best beer they possibly can. Aaron, please tell us about your beer journey and how you came to be involved with Polly's. Wow, uh, thank you for having me, by the way. I started in beer... Well, this is my first beer job. My beer job history starts with Polly's, but I previously had worked at a bar and restaurant in our hometown of Mould. Always carried a reputation of being the guy that knows about the beer. It's always been something that I'm passionate about since one of the guys that worked with me at this bar handed me a bottle of Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. I was hooked as (laughs) as soon as 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 I tasted it. And I sort of made my way up through there, probably stayed a little bit longer than I should have done, to be honest. And in August 2017, mm-hmm. I, I handed my notice in. I didn't know where I was going. I just knew I was going. It was quite a ballsy move at the time. Right. <laughs> um, knew that I wanted to go into <clears throat> beer, handing my CV out left, right and centre to anybody that gave me a sort of smidge of interest. Right. And I was pretty much ready to give up on it. And then Sean, the owner of then the Blackbrook Beer Company, mm-hmm. uh, soon to be Locopoly, yep. just got in contact with me completely out of the blue, asked if I wanted to meet up for a, for a coffee. We sat down in the glory of Mold Weatherspoons and passed <laughs> over some, some illicit <laughs> cans of his first ever Locopoly beers. Nice. He said, don't drink them now, you know, take them away, absorb, see what you think, really, really come back to me with some constructive feedback and the first two they were pretty ropey I won't okay. I won't lie they were mm. they were rough around the edges the third one galaxy mosaic I don't know how he managed to get him, his hands on galaxy galaxy no yeah uh, being what was effectively a small scale cask brewer at the time mm. but there was just something in that beer that really really hooked me <laughs> and I just said to him I, I met up with him a couple of days later and I just said to him if you can keep on producing beer like this I can sell it for you. We've and got something there. Yeah, we've, yeah. We've got something special. Mm. Um, and it just started from there. I, I started in January 2018 when we, mm-hmm. when we launched commercially, and I've been there ever since. Effectively a co-founder of the business. Nice. So Mould is not a huge place, is it? What's the size of, of Mould? Mould, it's not very big. It seems to be the epicenter of everything, though, because I go <laughs> everywhere in, in the world and I mention Mould and somebody knows about Holson's Port Pies or, okay. yeah. the, uh, or the market on a Saturday. Mm. Uh, it's not that big. It's a market town. Mm-hmm. You can walk from one end to the other in 10 minutes or so. Right. It's not a big place, but it seems to be that everybody knows where it is. It's, it's a really <laughs> weird part of the world. So you would have been pretty much resigned to have to go to one of the big cities, I guess, when you were looking to try and get into beer at that stage. Yeah, yeah. It's really worked out well that you didn't have to. I mean, we were quite lucky. The bar that I worked in, as much as I I rag on it, did have the best beer selection at the time. Uh, You know, we had, I think it was, I think it was about 25 different Belgian beers, which I slowly worked my way through. Nice. And we convinced the owner that craft beer is going to be the next big thing. Maybe 12 beers on the first list Hmm. to about 30. By the time I left, we had a dedicated craft tap line. So we had a convinced by the time I moved on. Right. Um, It's just one of those. I mean, I'm very lucky being where I live in that I've got Chester on my doorstep. Yes. Slightly further afield, I've got Liverpool and Manchester, Mm -hmm. which are two fantastic beer cities no doubt yeah 
so I've been quite lucky in my beer journey that I've been able to have these places just on my doorstep. Right. I mean, you can be in Chester from Moulding for 15, 20 minutes, I suppose. It was a... By car, yeah. If, yeah. You, if you're taking the bus, it's slightly more <laughs> time savvy. It takes about an hour to get to Chester from, from Mould. But yeah, yeah it's, it's it's easily accessible. Hmm. The only drawback is that Mould doesn't have a train station. So that was oh, okay. That's a a the ball ache. So you're yeah. dependent on, on someone to drive or the bus. <clears throat> so early days... Local Poly, as you said, that was just yourself and Sean? or Yeah, so when we first started, Sean was doing the brewing, I was doing the selling. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were brewing on a really, really rickety, wood-bound, I don't know if you know brewing kits, but a Dave Paul Kind of a dairy, yeah, dairy sort of style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was very, very much bucket and spade type mm. thing. Brewing probably once every 11 days. Mm. Like I say, just myself and Sean. We continued that for... I think it was maybe eight months before we brought our first first employee besides me right. on, into the brewery. That was Scott. That was yep. when we were up to, that was twice or three times a week. Okay. But then we've just grown pretty rapidly mm. from there. I think in, in October 2019, we took on three more staff. Right. And then obviously the pandemic happened. So we had plans to bring in two more new staff, which were more office-based to help me on the sort of logistics and, and planning side of things. But they were indefinitely postponed. But we recently upped our people to uh, to eight people. Okay, nice. So that's yeah. description you've reminded me is out of date. <laughs> a new paragraph required yeah. for the website, yeah. That's a typical success story is that that information's always out of date, isn't it? You're growing yeah. so quickly. <laughs> I've heard you on other podcasts. I know you're more or less based on a farm, aren't you? So have you always been in that same buildings or, or yeah yeah so we've always been on the same site but we've mm. moved um units when we first started we were in what was a converted stable house that's where the name okay. local poly came from okay yeah so the two previous uses of it were um a graphic design studio that our owner's brother james used mm-hmm. so that was a graphic design project called loca island and then prior to that, it was an actual working stable house where uh, Sean's family horse Polly lived. Okay, yeah. when, he was, <laughs> when he was looking for a sort of name for his new brewery, he dissolved Blackbrook pretty quickly after, after starting it. Mm-hmm. I think he wanted something that wasn't necessarily geographically tied to North Wales and just smashed the two previous uses together. It sounded pretty cool until we got uh, told that we had to change it. Yeah, such a shame. I mean, it seems like a suitably obscure name combination that you should have been good to go there shouldn't you but yeah, yeah. sadly not <laughs> i mean it must have been you know that must have been quite a blow to have to change the names early in the business i mean it seems irrelevant now doesn't it with what you've accomplished since then but i'm sure yeah. at the time that was quite a setback it was because we were just about 12 months old at the time so we had thank god we had 12 months worth of traction behind yep. us but as a as a barely 12 month old brewery to have a cease and desist letter uh, and in on your desk threatening some pretty scary legal action if and you not just not just about a beer name that was copying a chocolate bar it was actually a, you yeah. know actually the fundamental name of the business yeah so yeah, it's a bit, yeah. a bit more serious isn't it <laughs> i mean they were very amicable with us you know we i think we actually said in the response email that we were just three idiots brewing out of a ramshackle stable you know we didn't mean for any copyright infringement or anything like that mm. And we just said to him, look, you know, it's it's March. We're in month three of four of our labels. We order three times a year. So can we use up the rest of our, our labels? We'll use up the rest of our branded boxes. And they said, yep, no problem. Oh, you know, you can yeah. you can you can continue exporting as local poly until the end of March, I think it was. Mm-hmm. So I made sure that a couple of pallets left the brewery on the 31st of March just right. to <laughs> just to take the piss a little bit. <laughs> and all of April, you're exclusively UK only local poly. So that was a that was a pretty testing month because we only had the one cold store at the time. So we were we were literally climbing over orders to get to other people's orders. So our, right. our cold store was that full, because we obviously, we had a period where we were still packaging beers as local poly, and we had to sell those beers up to a point. Yep. And then we were packaging as, as Polly's Bruco, and we obviously couldn't release those beers until May the 1st. No. Uh, thank God for the Salopian, bless their hearts. They brewed a collaboration beer with us just before we had to change our name. Okay. And then I think they must have sat on this beer in their cold store for about a month before they could release it. Hmm. And it was a, it was a, it was a New England IPA. It needed to be yeah needed to, to get out of that cold yeah. store pretty pretty quickly. 
Um, but yeah, in the grand scheme of things, it was pretty seamless, the, the whole name change. And in terms of negativity, it was pretty fine. There was only really one area of the internet where where people were really kicking up a fuss it's a group on facebook i'll let you guess which one it is yeah, i think i probably know the one you mean yeah <laughs> <laughs> but aside from that absolutely fine it was okay so i need to tell you i had a bit of a moment with a loca poly beer and it's actually this is i was racking my brains today to try and think if i've had a similar experience with another uk craft brew and i don't think i have um it's positive okay. by the way so don't worry okay <laughs> but That's really so what happened was I was downstairs at the uh, Castlegate Brewdog Bar in Aberdeen, um, which yes. I, you, I dare say you've been to. And it was in the midst of a thoroughly boozy weekend, you know, so I'd had a lot of beer the day before and that day. Yeah. And I and I ordered a glass of what was your, it was called Citrus Simcoe IPA, 6.1%. It was still a lo- oh, local poly beer. Um, and I can remember, even though, as I say, I, I was far from sober, I, you know, it absolutely stunned me how great it was compared to everything else I'd been drinking before and since, you know, in that weekend, but 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 also just generally at that time. And, and I checked it on Untapped and I just, I looked at my tasting notes today. I said, wow, exceptional depth of fruit, savoury and bitterness, very special beer. And I can't honestly remember another brewer or beer that has had such a surprising impact on me. I think I'd had a couple of other local poly beers but not many it may may have been my second or third beer from you but it was a stunning beer and you know and that sort of really kind of set me on the path to i guess this conversation today i I am a big fan of your brewery i honestly don't think i've ever had a bad beer from you i'm not sure you're capable of making one you know but (laughs) (laughs) at least if you do if if you do you don't release (laughs) it which is probably part you know the half the secret we'll get to that later but that was amazing and i think most of the beers i've had from you guys are exactly what i'm looking for um i do skew very heavily towards east coast rather than west i like a bit of yeah. bit of bitterness in my beers but really you know i'm all about the you know new england pales and ipas and you know you guys do that i think better than anybody else in the uk so lots Thank of fun much. um Having given you that big build-up, let's talk about this first beer that I'm, <laughs> I'm working quickly down. This is Hello Euphoria. Yeah. Uh, 5.2% New England Pale. It's part of the Augment range. And let me just read the taste notes I've got. It says, uh, Hello Euphoria, an apt name for a summer wherein things may hopefully go back to normal once again. Encapsulates everything we love about brewing. A little homage to the old school with plenty of new school techniques sprinkled in for good measure. A dry hop bill of Centennial Citra Mosaic leads the way on this super crushable beer with Mosaic and Citra bringing all manner of juicy new school flavour profiles backed up with some old school piney notes from Centennial. Um, you know, if that doesn't sell this beer, then I don't know what you've got to say about a beer for people to want to buy. This is, <laughs> those are great notes. And this is absolutely bang up my street, a perfect beer to start an evening with. Um, you know, yeah, um, yeah. I was telling you before I started, I've had quite a hectic day today, and this beer is already taking the edge off what was a really <laughs> yeah. you know, a hot and bothersome afternoon. So, yeah, this is gorgeous. What's your thoughts about it? I'm glad to hear that my tasting notes are, are doing their job and, and selling <laughs> beers. It makes the, the three hours a week I spend writing them all worth it. Everybody at the brewery is a fan, although we're very, very good at producing those super, mega, juicy, soupy, hoppy, pale uh, mm-hmm. IPAs and dippers. There's nothing we really love more than just a, a simple pale ale. Right. Something with just a little bit of, of old school bitterness. We do like to sort of pay homage to those brewers that we wouldn't be here today without. Right. Absolutely. So that's, yeah. that's why we tend to use those old school sea hops in, in mm-hmm. our beers. Uh, we're quite generous with our use of those old school hops, but at the same time, utilizing these new school techniques that we... That we right. Yeah, yeah. That we, come so famous for this is one of our beers that has also gone through our new centrifuge okay so by and large it should be ready to drink as soon mm-hmm. as it's canned which which i think it is it's oh. made our beers infinitely better there's a little grumble of people on on social media at the minute who are telling me that or saying aloud that our beers taste different now that we're running them through a centrifuge and i'm just like well yeah of course they do they taste better yeah. <laughs> some of the beers that we released were just too heavy on the yeast, you know, yeah. it would settle out eventually. But because we've never brewed the same beer twice, mm-hmm. it's it's just a constant cycle of we need to get this beer out as quickly as, as possible. Sometimes our beers are just a bit too soupy and a bit too much. But I guess to play devil's advocate, I guess there are people that like that about 
modern craft beer. Oh, yeah, you know, they'd like the that, but, you know, that those, it, yeah. the yeast suspension and that's all part of the perhaps part of the flavor profile that some people are looking for. You know, I, I totally get that you would say this is maybe a cleaner beer than, than it might have been before it was centrifuge, but that doesn't necessarily. Yeah. It'd be really interesting actually to taste it before and afterwards to see that side by side. Not yeah, yeah. I certainly think the addition of the centrifuge is probably the wisest bit of investment we've done yeah. since we moved into our new side because we're getting bigger now and we're getting into more spaces. So naturally, through that happening, we're getting into the hands of more people. Right. So if we have our processes absolutely dialed in and our beers are all the better for it you're going to appeal to much more people than the hardcore soup drinkers um, who don't get me wrong. We, we, we love, we'd love to, we love to cater to, Yep. but for a brewery that wants to grow, you need to be able to look beyond that and into a more accessible pool of drinkers, which I think this certainly will allow us to get definitely. into. Definitely. Yeah. This is definitely a, a very accessible beer, isn't it? You can see that this is not just appealing to, to your hardcore craft beer fans. Is, does it significantly affect the fridge stability centrifuge in it? Does that lead you, if you've got um, a longer that's, that's a good question. I'm not 100% sure. That's a sciencey technical question that our head brewer Lally would be, would be all over. It seems logical that it would do, but I don't, I just find the idea. Yeah, I think we still put six months on all of our cans mm-hmm. just because we're so keen on freshness. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this one does have six months on it. Yeah, it does, yeah. Whether the addition of a, of a centrifuge would allow us to push our beers to maybe eight months or even 12 months, I don't know, possibly. I don't think we'd want to do that, though. No. We're compromising potential quality for long-term shelf stability, which I don't think... I don't think anybody worth a salt is going to pick up a no. I don't see why you, beer and you know, go. You, that's not your aim, is it at all? I don't yeah. think. And quite honestly, I, I highly doubt that your beers hang around for more than a few weeks. Very often, times <laughs> anyway. You know, we're, unless unless something, they get lost in the back of a distribution yeah, yeah. somewhere. But for the most part, I think they're going to be shifted and drunk a bit sooner than that. And whilst it's hard to make such a general comment, but I think think I can taste the difference between a three month old. IPA from one of the top brewers and a three-week-old IPA. So, oh, yeah, you know, I think, you know, you want to drink it in the first month or two anyway, don't you? So, you know, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. not saying I it's mean, a bad beer after six months, but it's not as good as it, as, as it was. There's certainly a culture that's developed within craft beer that drinking a beer as close to the canon date is the ideal way to drink a beer. Mm. I certainly think there's a peak at which, which beers have their best drinkability. Mm. I've had is from a redacted brewery that is a very very big thing on uh, on pushing drink fresh yeah i've had a better beers or better experience drinking those beers that are, say a month old i totally agree to yeah week old totally um, agree yeah there's almost a cult of drinking the beers too fresh and finding the likes of of hot burn desirable mm. I, I still can't get my head around around the culture of, of hot burn being a desirable character characteristic no, but i don't necessarily blame the brewery for that i think no. to some extent if you can and it's a obviously a very fine margin you're trying to play with but if you can put the beer in can in such a way that it improves for the first two or three weeks after you've canned it that's probably not a bad thing is it because by the time yeah. it's actually got out through distribution over into the bottle shops into the four corners of the uk then people are most likely going to be drinking it at its very best whereas if it's yeah. at its very best when you put it in can and three weeks later it's already gone over a bit then people are probably not actually experiencing it in all its glory yeah right? it's, but mean, it's a really tricky balance i'm sure we've got a policy at the brewery that our beers have to spend the oldest beers in our cold store any given time that go onto a trade list they're, they're 10 days old when they go on sale mm-hmm. the newest beer if you want to call them newest beers i think they're about five days old when they when they go on mm-hmm. sale so they're probably hitting distributors and the end consumer around about that two-week mark which mm-hmm. is ideal really you want you want to be sort of no sooner than that two-week mark yep. i mean customers that buy from our trade store they're getting getting it a little bit sooner but i think that two-week mark that the independents seem to get their beers at right uh, that's a real magic sort of time period yeah yeah makes sense let's talk about tap rooms tap rooms <clears throat> yes so you i think i would struggle to name another brewery of anything like your profile in the uk that doesn't have its own retail outlet 
Yeah. Um, and I know because I've heard you interviewed on other podcasts that there is no possibility of doing that at the brewery, which is unfortunate, but it is what it is. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on whether you contemplated a Chester tap room or a Greater Manchester tap room or a, I don't know, fill in the blank tap room, but I just, I want to come to your tap room. I don't much care where it is. Uh, yeah, it's it. Of course, any brewery that's worth their salt wants to have a tap room. We're no different. We understand the, the value of a tap room to a brewery. Unfortunately, because of the nature of our site, we can't have it hmm. at the brewery itself. And that's just the nature of the site. Unfortunately, it's, yep. it is Sean's home. So we don't really want to be inviting public onto what is his house no absolutely not um, but further afield maybe a tap room in chester maybe one in liverpool maybe in manchester we're sort of really thinking long term at the minute in that what is the pub trade going to look like in two five ten years we don't really know no so we're approaching the idea of a tap room very very cautiously right we think the good thing about sean is that despite him being the youngest is he the youngest now? I think I think our new starter, Alex, is, is the youngest person at the brewery now. Hmm. But for someone that's under 30 years old, right. he's so switched on when it comes to business. He's constantly okay. thinking two steps ahead of you. Right. Uh, so we have talked about tap rooms and he said, well, what is the pub trade going to look like in two, five, ten years or, or whatever? Yeah. Um, we need to, if we do end up opening a tap room, we need to open it with this in mind i think the way that verdant have done their bar slash restaurant side of things i think that's that's really really savvy in that it's it's a seafood bar first and foremost Mm -hmm. that just happens to to sell verdant beer right i think if we were going to do anything like that we would be a food-led operation with the added bonus that it is stocked exclusively by polys right yeah um but i don't know maybe we'll see Mm -hmm. it's a endlessly fascinating topic of conversation yeah. for me I, I think that you guys would be a destination tap room if you were to open one i think it, you know yeah. almost regardless of where you put it people would come which is you know yeah. i don't think you need to worry too much about that i mean you're right who knows what the the younger demographic is going to be doing in in 10 years time but still got a pretty solid base of craft beer fans that yeah, I think you're gonna sure. be, you know i don't think you need to worry about everybody stopping drinking anytime soon and yeah and, and even if everybody does cut back i think you're still going to be top of most people's lists of beers to seek out so i don't think you need fear that it would be a failure it's probably going to be a great time to pick up a distressed pub. Uh, You know, if you wanted to take that route, uh, unfortunately, you know, without celebrating the demise of anybody's business, I think there are a lot of closed pubs and there's going to be, unfortunately, I think a lot more closed pubs in the next, the next year or so before the COVID has finished. Yeah. I mean, we've identified places that we would in an ideal world like to take over. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of places in in our hometown in in Mould that we've identified. I don't know if there's much realistic scope of us of us getting these places, but you never know what's going to happen in a year or so. No, we may well come out of 2023 with a with an entire bar division. We we might decide <laughs> that we we want to be the next Brewdog without the awfulness. We don't know. We'll see. Um, let's just quickly talk about supermarkets. Okay. Um, because I noticed very recently that you dipped your toe in the water with M&S with Moonwrecker. Yeah, yeah, we did. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that and whether that's a, is it a one-off or is that, do you see that as being part of your distribution network moving forwards? So the M&S deal was kind of, that, that kind of crept up on us. We kind of forgot about it in all honesty. <laughs> we signed the contract for that beer in, uh, I think it might have been July or August in 2020. Oh, wow. This was at peak of, of lockdown one peak of i don't know what's going to happen and if yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there was there was like uh all of our distribution arms which is the backbone of the brewery they were in various stages of shutting down not mm. shutting down but but sort of pausing operations just furloughing everything yeah. yeah just furloughing everything we had bars that were just converting into sort of bottle shops and we'd furloughed six of our seven staff mm-hmm so it was it was a pretty scary time as a, sure. as a business. Sean is is always and has always been about career progression at the brewery. So right. if you do a good job, you get paid more, mm-hmm. and you can't do that without guaranteed income. No. So we signed it with basically just sort of to have a cushion under the brewery, because mm. I think 
and he, he explained this to me really, really much more concisely and clearly than, than I'll be able to. <laughs> but he wants to be able to have this brewery in 15 years. Yeah. He doesn't really know how to do anything else. Right. So this is his forever business. You know, he wants Brilliant. to make it something that, that lasts, I, I would assume, for the rest of his life. Yeah. And with that, he wants to make sure his, his staff were secure in their jobs mm. and they could progress if they if they wanted to. I think had we known that we would be back up to and exceed in our pre-pandemic volumes by, by March, sort of April 2021, we mm. probably wouldn't have done it. No. But it's a cushion underneath the brewery, which which is just, it's going to pay our, our VAT bill for a couple nice. of months, which yeah. is which is nice. Sure. In terms of long-term supermarket listings, this is only six months. Okay. We have discussed the possibility of extending the M&S deal by, by another six months, but it's all at the behest of M&S at the end of the yeah. day. We just so happened to announce this M&S deal the same week as the Cloudwater and the Vault City, uh, Vault, yeah. Vault City announcements so there was a lot of a lot of anger being directed towards breweries for stocking in supermarkets at the time and we sent a really really big long detailed email basically summarizing what i'm saying now yeah to our independent trade customers and the feedback's been really really good it's not a tesco listing i think that's, no i know that was the sorest point of them all was that it was tesco that these two two breweries were going into yeah i don't know why but mns seems to carry a lot more class to it yeah definitely <laughs> people don't seem to worry or care so much about we've spoken to other breweries that have stopped in mns and say the exact same thing it pays our pays our vat bill for mm. a couple of months nobody really drops you as long as you remain honest and completely clear with your intentions as to, to what you're doing, um, yeah. people will understand. I don't think we've got any plans to go into the into the big four supermarkets mm. because of the nature of the brewery. Sean doesn't want to turn his brewery into a beer making factory, which no. is what which is what would happen if we stopped in one of the big supermarkets. Yeah, um, because he still lives on site. He doesn't want to have truckloads of beer leaving every week. <laughs> No, look, I think that makes perfect sense to me, Aaron. It's a single school, isn't it, after yeah. all, which is the point. Yeah. Do M&S maintain the cold chain as a matter of interest? Uh, I think they do. So we we sell, we sell send it via a third-party company mm-hmm. who I think keep it cold. The transport itself isn't cold, right? but I think the storage is, is cold. But it goes straight into the fridge at M&S. Yeah, as, as far thing, as, as, far as yeah. I'm aware... Okay, they, good. they do maintain some element of cold storage. Obviously, right. when it gets onto the shelf, it's not cold stored. No, I don't. But I mean, um, the, you know, the stores are usually kept at a reasonable temperature anyway, aren't yeah, they? So I think yeah. it's the warehouse is, is the sort of the weak link, isn't it, with these things, yeah. if, if it's especially in the summer. But yeah. I, I don't see why anybody would object to that. As you've said, it's if this is the key to keeping Polly's as a, an independent craft brewery for the long term, then I don't see how anybody can object to that as yeah. a trade-off and it's a gateway hopefully that will bring people to your brand you know they'll, they'll, well, pick, exactly. that, they'll pick that up they'll you know they'll see what you're about and hopefully six or more yeah fingers crossed anyway <laughs> excellent let's take a short break this week in craft beer is sponsored by them that can the premier mobile canning service in the uk Them that can deliver the machinery, labour, materials and most importantly the expertise to achieve a professionally canned product that keeps their clients happy. For more information about how you can get started with their amazing services, please visit www.themthatcan.com. I'm back with Aaron from Polly's Brew Co for the second half of the show. Aaron, let's waste no time getting into what can be a tricky question for some people. I'm sure it won't be for you, which is to ask you to tell me what makes Polly's different? What is it you've been doing for three years and going to do for the next three years to stand out in the UK craft beer scene? Well, besides working on a very rickety bucket and spade brew kit compared to our our contemporaries million pound SSV installs, what makes us different? That's a really good question. Um, I think the fact that we stay true to ourselves and we're not... So we're a, we're a brewery that understands what we're really good at and we stick to what we're really good at. Um, okay. It was something that we 
that we decided on very, very early on was that Sean was comfortable brewing pale IPA. Right. So we brewed pale and IPA relentlessly for our first six months and then became comfortable with the idea of a double IPA. And we've just gone down that pale and hoppy route uh, since, since day one because we'd much rather be excellent at a small number of styles than just to be okay at loads of styles. Um, we've sort of decided within the brewery that this year we're going to branch out a little bit more. So that's included the barley wine. We did our first yep. first best bitter yeah. earlier in the year, which was <laughs> which was really good. <laughs> so we're now at a point where we're confident enough in our own ability to go for those styles that are slightly less sexy, shall we say. Right. So we're just happy to, to sort of explore those styles. We've always said that we, we wouldn't really go into a style unless we were collaborating with a brewery that knew what they were doing mm -hmm. or if we brought someone on board that knew what they were doing. So right. when we took on Lally yep. from Magic Rock previously, Mad Hatter as well. Mad Hatter, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the cult brewery that everybody really, really loves. <laughs> dearly, dearly departed brewery. So good at what they did. Mm. Um, but he was incredibly comfortable with sour beers. Right. So yep. he's, he's added an extra branch to our output, which is nice. sour beer. And then further afield, our other brewers now are introducing ideas and techniques that we wouldn't be confident to do ourselves. But now that we've got people that we trust... Yep. We're now more open and, and happy to explore these things because you're never going to become the best brewery in the world just by producing pale and hoppy all the time. No, it's a tricky challenge, isn't it? You know, on the one hand, you want to brew crowd pleasers. I'm sure that's yeah. a big a big part of what you're thinking of. And you've established a reputation, almost untouchable quality of IPAs, at least in my opinion. Uh, and so it's tempting to have a brew schedule that leans heavily in that direction because you know you're so good at it. But I get that. The brewers want to flex their muscles a bit. And yeah. as a business, you want to try and build out a bit more of a portfolio. I guess to some extent, it helps that you've probably got your brand to the point where people will trust almost whatever style of beer you're releasing just because it's yeah. got your name on it. Yeah, I think I think that was something that we explicitly went for when we designed the Augment range, which is the, the beers that we're drinking currently. Mm -hmm. We wanted to make that droplet logo as recognizable as the, the Cloudwater logo, for mm. example. Yeah. Cloudwater don't need to put anything on their cans except for that logo. And you know that's a Cloudwater yep. beer. And I think we've gotten to the point now where we don't need to put anything besides our droplet logo on a mm. on a can now. And people know that that's a Polly's beer. And there's, there's an yep. element of, of trust that comes with, with that, which we're eternally grateful for to all of our drinkers for that we can now extend out from what is a very, very safe comfort zone of pale and hoppy into, yeah. into more experimental styles. And I think on top of that as well, we were able to introduce drinkers who would ordinarily stay in that comfort zone of pale mm. and hoppy to new styles. We might not be the greatest at them, but mm. we can introduce people to these styles and make them go oh well actually maybe that's not a style i should be petrified of yeah um, absolutely yeah. maybe i should give more of these a go and without wanting to beat the horse to death that's where your tap room comes into its own isn't it? you know that's uh, <laughs> that's where i've you know had experience of seeing a brewer spread their wings a bit you know you, you're going to yeah. a, a tap room of a brewer that is an ipa merchant and you drink there their brown ale or their dark lagers or whatever and you say oh, actually yeah that's an interesting beer style i wouldn't yeah. typically order that but as soon as i'm in the tap room it would be rude to leave without having a third of everything on the board so uh, yeah you know sure. that's, uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway we've done that topic so let's uh, let's let's crack <laughs> on let's talk about the new tropical reflex 7.2 percent black ipa black ipa uh, yeah, good beer style. There's been a bit of a campaign, hasn't there? You know, re-established the Black IPA this year. Yeah. And, I, you know, and I've had quite a few good ones, actually. This definitely is right up there for me. And it's a Sabro beer, which really surprises me. I'm not much of a Sabro fan. Um, you know, I think that it can take over an IPA in a almost slightly unpleasant way. I've had some good Sabro in combination with other hops in, in IPAs. I think it can, it can blend quite nicely, but I'm not a big fan of a single hop Sabro. 
IPA, but this I think works brilliantly. It, you know, yeah. in, in combination with the dark malt. Let me read you the tasting notes, and then I'd be curious to, to get your expansion on it. Although the tasting notes, as always, say a lot. <laughs> this is a sabro heavy dry hop bill brings coconut tropical notes, which play off roasted chocolate notes from the malt bill, backed up with smaller additions of talus and citra for some extra levels of complexity. The result is a full-on tropical explosion of flavour presented in a dark beer. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. I, I'm really enjoying this. Just think the Sabro just works really nicely in this beer. Yeah, It really does. So that was, I think, it was Sean's idea to use Sabro in this oh. beer and to use it quite sparingly because mm-hmm. I agree, Sabro can be quite an intense hop, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you use it in great quantities. But we've used the... So Talus is a, is a descendant of... Sabro, of course it so, is, yeah, yeah. So it's in that same family. So to bring those coconutty tropical notes, I always get like dried roses from from Talus, and then with that sort of uh, that sort of citrus bitterness from from Citra mm-hmm. as well. I got the official seal of approval from Mister Black IPA himself this weekend. Ah. Is that Andy uh, Elusive? Andy Elusive yeah. <laughs> uh, sent, sent me a, a message to say this is fantastic. So as nice. far as I'm concerned, we've completed beer now. Mm. Well, I know Andy. We live very close to Elusive. So I'm just up the road from Siren and Elusive and Phantom and Double Barrel. So yeah, we're surrounded by good breweries. But as you say, Andy is definitely uh, the crown king of the black IPA, isn't he? In the yeah. UK? <laughs> this is really good. And is it, you've only released it this week, so you can't say how well it's selling yet. But I, I assume it's going to move pretty well, is it? Yeah, as far as I can tell, I mean, the kegs of the beer are a little bit slower selling, but that was always 7.2, I guess. It's a 7.2% black IPA. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting it to be a sellout, but the, I think the curiosity factor more than anything has, has sold this beer, which is a big thing with all of these styles that we're trying to brew this year, is that it's the curiosity factor that really sells it. So, Oh, Polly's a brewed a, a black IPA. Well, I'll stick that on with my order of pale and happy this week. Yeah. Oh, Polly's a brewed a best bitter. I'll stick mm-hmm. that on with my with my order of double IPA this week. And it just gives us a little bit of extra stuff to talk about. Sure, you know, it's, absolutely. It, it's, yeah. it's really difficult to say mango, juicy, pineapple <laughs> five times a week. I know. <laughs> um, and make it sound different and interesting. Mm-hmm. But if you if you throw a black IPA into the mix, I can vibe off that i can i can write something different it breaks up you're releasing typically three four beers a week um these days? uh yeah so we're always releasing at least three canned beers a week yep. and i think we're up to up to three keg beers a week now some of those are split batches so mm-hmm. we do we do half can half keg mm-hmm. but there's always one full can batch and one full keg batch so it okay. fulfills our five brews a week that we do at the right yeah Nice. Some of your beers only available on keg. I didn't realise that. That's yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. So we we released. Uh, we try and steer the styles that we release and the stories to these beers that we do for keg only in a particular way. So there was a there was a beer that we released. I think it was two weeks ago. I think it's the same release we did Tropical Reflex on, mm-hmm. which was called "This Is Why I Love You." Right. Which was in our minds, we wanted to sort of pay respect to to bar staff that are really sort of getting battered at the minute yeah, with absolutely. with how hard their jobs are mm-hmm. and we just thought it'd be it's nice to go up to a bar and say this is why i love you Hi, nice. please yeah, yeah I like that. Um, <laughs> it's it's a it's a little subtle touch but mm. something that we that we like to do with those keg only beers mm. that we know are going to be dispensed by bar staff who right we, we all used to be you know everybody that's mm. worked at the brewery is ex-hospitality so so we all yeah. know we all know exactly the same experience that they're going through yeah, that's fun. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Let's pivot to talk about influences. So you okay. mentioned earlier on Sierra Nevada as maybe being your wow beer that convinced you that there was something here in uh, in craft beer. But what else has had a big influence on you or maybe on Sean and Larry and the others? Can you mention uh, some other so names? I certainly think for me personally, it's all about the West Coast beers. Mm-hmm. I love I love East Coast, don't get me wrong. Some of my favourite beers are, are East Coast beers, but my true passion lies in the West Coast. Mm. So I would love to do the journey down the down the Pacific Coast, right? Visiting all those breweries, mm. it almost seems like 
a sin, but I've never had a Pliny the Younger or Pliny the Elder. Oh, haven't you? Oh, I've, only, um, I've, only, I've, I've only had it in a bottle. Uh, it's uh, it's it's and it's only, the, only the Elder, not the Younger. It's the Holy Grail, which I've, mm. I've not yet gotten. In terms of influences on Sean, there's obviously the domestic breweries that are big influences on him. So the likes of Cloudwater, Dea, Verde. Yeah. He's obviously influenced by those American breweries, the likes of Treehouse. He's gotten a really, really big thing for KCBC recently. Okay, nice. Yeah. So he, he went over to New York uh, just before the pandemic happened. Oh, for the, for the beer was... week in, in February? No, no, it wasn't for the oh. beer week. It was for, um, I think he went over for New Year. He went okay. with his brother and he was in New York and then Boston. I think he went back to New York and his hotel had KCBC beers on tap. <laughs> Nice. And he was like, he was like, this is the greatest thing that I've yeah. ever had in my entire life. Never going to leave. Um, yeah. He's never going to leave. And yeah, I think <laughs> comparatively to the sort of more famous New York breweries, I think he really found something that he loved in KCBC's beers. Mm. I've been to the tap room actually in Brooklyn. It's, it's a yeah. really nice little play, very welcoming. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I think while he's always always been influenced by Belgian stuff. Uh-huh. So there's a story that he quite famously tells of when he went to Belgium one year. And he just so happened to be passing Brasserie d'Orval, right. so, so where, where Orval's uh, mm-hmm. brewed. And he went around the back. I, I still don't know to this day if he, if he actually managed to do it or not. But he went around the back with some containers and he asked for, for some yeast from them so he, oh. could, he could cultivate his own Orval yeast. Oh, my goodness. Um, I, I want to say that he did get some yeast, but I have to—I'd have to confirm it with him. But yeah, ev- everything Belgian for Lally. He was posting on his on the brewery Slack chat this weekend. He was just drinking bottles of Cantillon, and I was—I right. was just immensely jealous. Nice, yeah. Um, yeah, he goes over to Belgium all the time. I think he's very, very influenced by the by the classics rather than rather than the modern stuff. Which is a, it's a great arm to have. Oh, definitely. The brewery, yeah. So that we can lean on those passions that each of us have mm. and create beers that are all sort of have it set in our mind that we we want to create beers that fulfill this criteria. Are we going to see a Belgian IPA or a Saison or something from Polly's? We, we might be just about setting the wheels in motion for a barrel aged program which might have a saison aged in i think it was wine barrels and possibly on some fruit i'm not 100 percent sure just yet nice. uh, okay. but we've been talking about our fourth <clears throat> birthday beer right and we did a we did a quad ipa for for this year's birthday beer yes that was just way off the off the end of the cliff yeah uh, i don't think we can we can really go any bigger than a, than a quad ipa no. so we were just like okay what can we do that's a bit more real back a bit more classy hmm. and we've settled on something barrel aged we don't know where we're going to put them yet you've actually started buying barrels i have you you're starting we're, to we're gonna, we're gonna yeah. start buying barrels so one oh, of our, okay, one of our new brewers uh joe he's got plenty of hookups for mm-hmm. for barrels he used mm-hmm. to work at a distillery Oh, cool. So, um, so he's pretty well connected when it comes to barrels and, and whatnot. So we're going to start sourcing ASAP. It, this beer really does need to go onto our brew plans hmm. sooner rather than <laughs> later, so it's got enough time to age in the oak. You, you've got more outbuildings, have you, in the uh, your current location to for, for that sort of thing? Or we're, you, we're, you... we're pushing it at the minute. Yeah, we've filled our brewing unit. We've got a we've got a malt store which is full to the brim, hmm. and that's about it in terms of storage i mean we've got shipping containers that, that hold our dry stock right but for a for a barrel store i don't know i think we might have to purpose build okay something in the way of a barrel store I, it's all still in sean's head at the minute i'm nice okay i'm great. sure it'll come to fruition eventually yeah. i think it's the most fascinating part of brewing i think speaking as a non-brewer of course i would have i don't know anything about it but i've spoken to enough brewers now to know that sooner or later you end up barrel aging, you know, it's just, it has its own amazing sort of idiosyncrasies, doesn't it? You never yeah, quite know sure. what the hell you're going to end up with. And that, that sort of uncertainty and surprise factor is amazing. I'm really curious to see what the, what the wild yeast in the, mm. in the air in, at Polly's is. Although we do, 
grew on the back of a of a chemical factory. So I don't know whether I don't know whether the formaldehyde <laughs> is going to have much of a much of an impact in that wild yeast. I don't know. We'll have Goodness to see. Goodness knows. No, it's the only one way to find out, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Let's talk about social media. Um, yeah. How much? Well, actually, you know, more specifically, I would say online ratings and reviews. So, how much attention do you pay to? Untapped in particular and Instagram to a lesser extent. I mean, you guys are one of the chosen ones on Untapped. Your current average rating across all your beer releases is 3.99, which makes you the highest yeah. rated brewery in Wales, um, comfortably in the top 10 in the UK. I would say arguably in the top five in the UK based on brewers with a reasonable level of production output. But do you look at it much? Do you know, does, does Sean and Lally look at it much or does it stop you sleeping at night? I think we'd be lying if we said we didn't look at it. Mm. I think early on we were quite obsessed with that untapped rating. I think as any new brewer would be, it's quite nice to see your, your average rating skyrocket and then it inevitably balances out again. You know, I think when we first hit a, a thousand check-ins, we were, we were somewhere around the four mark and then more people were getting hold of our beers and then our, our sort of average rating bottomed out a little bit. And then we've built it back up to where it is now, which is that 3.99. It kind of irks me that we're not at four yet. <laughs> um, it's, I think we're all, we're all sort of patiently waiting for the day that we hit that four mark. We just need to brew more quad IPAs. Well, I was going to say, it's, <laughs> unfortunately, that's my next point is it's an easy thing to fix. Just don't, brew anything other than dippers and quads and at least don't brew any session beers whatsoever don't brew any best bitters don't you know i'm not saying this is not i'm not telling you not to do that of course i'm just making the point that that's how to fix your untapped rating not that it needs fixing but i don't necessarily think that's a good thing is it i don't know it's it's tricky i I mean like so i was talking to one of the sales guys at track um a couple of weeks ago and he was like the only reason that our untapped score is so low is because of Sonoma. Yeah. Um, which is, which it's, it's an amazing beer. That's obscene. I mean, that, you know, that yeah. is one of the most celebrated of all UK beers. More yeah. people, if you ask somebody to name, a, you know, if they're going out on a session, name a beer, you want to drink a few pints or I reckon five out of 10 people would say track Sonoma. That is almost universally the beer of choice for people. If you're going to drink a few of, so that's a tragedy that that beer is. So. Yeah. I guess it's a sort of inevitability when you when you brew the same thing mm. a couple of times over. Maybe that's why our untapped rating is so high, is that we constantly cater to that untapped ticker the t- market the tickers, where, yeah. <laughs> where they constantly want to try something new every single week. And if it's if it's the same thing that we brewed three months ago, then they're not really interested. No. We saw something similar with our trade list this week. We released, I think it was a rebrew of Patnist. Yeah. And we'd only brewed and released that beer in January, I think. Mm-hmm. And that was my poorest selling beer of the week, even though it's a fantastic beer. It's a beer. great beer, yeah. yeah. It's that sort of going back again to that culture of what's new this week. I don't want what I've already had. I want no. what's new. I guess that's the sacrifice that you make when you become a brewery that can't really rely on that new every week routine because there is a ceiling to it. Yeah, I think we've probably reached the ceiling of new stuff every week now, and that's where partly the uh, the M S listing has come into play because we want to release a core range eventually. Yeah, I don't it's, see why it's you something, wouldn't. Yeah. It's something that's been missing from our output since day one, and it was supposed to be a thing in April May last year, but mm. obviously pandemic related issues caused us to to indefinitely delay it. Yeah, it's back on our brew plans now because we're confident that pubs will be open and reliably taking volume by August. Yeah, is our untapped rating going to suffer because of that? Possibly, hmm. but that's something that we're willing to offset to be a brewery that's successful. Definitely, um, I, I honestly don't think you should be sweating it too much. It's no. if you had a core five percent pale similar to the, the one we drank a bit earlier widely available in keg every week then i don't see how that can be a bad thing and no, i don't no, see sure. that and the untapped community are probably not going to be checking it in that much anyway because they've already had it yeah. so it's not like somebody's going to check it in and give you a four 
rating on it the first time and then check it in the following week and only give you 3.5 they're just not going to check it in the second time so yeah i don't think that should make much difference but i mean i'm a fully paid up member of the ticker community i i confess yeah. you know I'm, <laughs> i do far too much pissing about on my phone when i'm out drinking with my mates and you know and i'm always getting told off for it but even i've come around to the idea that brewers in order to be successful need a core range yeah you, know, you, you need that certainty of product name that people can ask for you need something that pubs can order and have it sell well and buy it again the next week or the next month and if you you know well that's it that's yeah. exactly it we struggle at the minute because we've got more established pubs and restaurants that want to buy our beer but because we change it every week there's no consistency with it mm. i mean the beer is consistently good but they want to be able to produce a menu and have the same beer for six months until they yeah. update update the menu hmm. which is something that we're unable to achieve at the minute i mean yeah we'll brew pat nest a couple of times a year we'll brew rosa a couple of times a yep. year uh spur but yeah. it'll be a good three months between brew dates and that mm-hmm. inconsistency with these places that will take volume is something that any brewery worth their salt is going to want to go well why don't we want to brew yeah five percent pale for these places it's going to put our beer into into more people's hands and ultimately it'll mean we sell more beer of course it will and you're putting your beer in front of people that maybe aren't familiar with polys but hopefully will have a good experience and then those are the people that are coming to your web shop or the local bottle shop and looking for the brand in the future so it's it's the only way really that you can grow your customer base isn't it or at least the the only easy way anyway or the easiest (laughs) way let's put it that way um good let's talk about uh, briefly, I, we we did. I'm not, I think we spoke about this offline. So let me ask you the question online, okay. which is uh, festivals and events this year. Um, what's your plan? I think you mentioned that you've maybe had to cancel a couple, unfortunately. But yeah, you know, where, where are you committed to, and what are you uh, looking forward to? I don't know if I can if I can announce the the, the first festival that we're going to this year. It's it's in July. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know whether. Oh, but you've not actually been in. Yeah, okay. Enough we've, said. We've we've enough not said. been announced yet. Um, Fair enough. I don't know whether I, I want to no, no, don't worry spoil, about it, the, spoil the announcement. But I'll see you there. I'm there Friday and Saturday. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, think, I think it's obvious which, which festival it is. What uh, else you got going on? <laughs> we've, we've got, so this is something that's a, an ongoing thing in the brewery at the minute, is that how do we share out our festival appearances mm-hmm. amongst the staff yeah. evenly? Because for the first two years of our existence, it was just myself, Sean and our assistant brewer Scott that went to these things. Yep. Lally obviously joined joined the team and he's been to a couple, but the brewers, Matt and Joe, and our new warehouse manager Rob. I say new, he's been been with us for a year now. <laughs> and our new salesperson, Alex, they've never been to a festival before. Oh, no. And it seems like quite cruel to deny them that that, that experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's this one in July. There's I'm sure there's another one in July at some... There's a couple of yeah. ones that we're doing. Unfortunately, we've had to cancel a couple of international festivals. Oh, that's such a shame, isn't which it? Which is a shame, because yeah. it would have been... We were due to go to a couple of international festivals last year, hmm. and we, we felt like this was going to be our sort of crowning sort of moment, our, our sort of hmm. coronation as a brewery. Yeah. Where we wanted to be in terms of how we really felt. Really putting yourself on the European yeah. stage. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then... COVID happened and all these festivals got cancelled. So we're still on, on the books for these festivals. It's just whenever it's safe just to whether do it's, so. Yeah, 22, I suppose. Now, yeah. More than likely, anyway. Yeah, never mind. Very good. What about your own beers coming up in the next few months? You mentioned the birthday barrel age possibilities, but what about, uh, you know, what else you got in tank already a, or, or about to be? Uh, that's about a, to be that's a good question. There's some really, really interesting pale and hoppy stuff. Mm-hmm. I think we've got our first ever like fruited and hot sour beer due. Okay, nice. Point in July. Good. So that one's going to be really interesting. I think we're bringing that one to the festival, which isn't named. Excellent. Um, so keep an eye out for that I'm one. I'm happy about that, yeah. And then going forward, we did a series of beers last year, which were all completely staff designed. Okay. We've revived the concept again this year and told the staff, don't be so conservative with it. You don't have, <laughs> like it. Yeah. You don't have to brew a DDH pale ale. You can be silly if uh, you like. Yeah. You can be as <laughs> silly as you like. So our brewers and, well, all, all of the staff have taken this on. 
Nice. And well, mine's certainly going to be a, a West Coast IPA that replicates a, a Sierra Nevada beer. Okay. Um, I purposely asked for crystal malt on this beer and to go next to nothing on the dry hop. Right. Plenty of um, cascade. Going for all the sea hops. <laughs> um, I think our warehouse manager wanted to brew an ESB. So I think that's going to be a thing. I think one of our other brewers is going for a triple fruited goes, but not calling it a triple fruited goes because obviously there's a brewery in Leeds that have the sort of dibs on that. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be our biggest fruited sour that we've done to nice. date. I think our most eccentric when it comes to beers brewer, Matt, I think he wants to brew a, a raspberry wheat ale. Okay, nice, yeah. So that's going to be really interesting. That sounds I'm good, looking, yeah. looking forward yeah. to seeing what comes of that one. And just trying to expand yeah. a bit more through the staff design beers range that we're, that we're reviving. Hopefully it means we, we can start extending our arms a little bit more and yeah. exploring styles that we're not particularly well known for. Mm, sounds great, which leads me nicely into asking where people can get their hands on Polly's beer. And that would be both can and keg. So I guess there's a different answer to each question, but... So we're very, very distributor-led, mm-hmm. which is a great thing because it means it's less invoices for me to chase. <laughs> yeah. I just palletize everything and just send it out to someone else to deal with. Nice. We're covered pretty extensively across the UK. Mm-hmm. So that includes both cans and kegs. We've got our own web store, so that carries all of our cans every single week. Mm-hmm. Everything's updated weekly. If you log on to our web store on a Wednesday, Thursday, that's usually mm-hmm. when we stick on the sort of stuff that we found at the back of the cold store. So it's some of the favourites that you may have missed first time round. Okay, so it's we, a bit, bit of a lucky dip on Yeah, a, on because, a because we've missed out, yeah. we've miscounted or something, it ends up on our web store. Nice. Um, just to, and what's the new release day? Is that typically a Friday? New release or? day is always always in line with our own trade release, which is a which is a Friday, twelve yeah. o'clock. And obviously bottle shops. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I think you, you're hard pushed to find an independent bottle shop that you're not in these days. Yeah, uh, Aaron, I think we should certainly have a conversation about the whole rat magnet. British Beer Girl conversation that's happening yeah. around craft beer at the moment. And so I think perhaps there's a level set for people because we can't necessarily assume that everybody is completely plugged into the background to the story. So I think what I'd say is you know, starting in, in early May, actually, a lady called Brienne Allen, who is at Rat Magnet on Instagram, who actually works for Notch Brewing in Massachusetts, I'd arguably say are the preeminent craft lager brewer in the whole of the US. So, you know, very, very highly celebrated yeah, yeah. brewery. She just put out an Instagram message to her followers asking whether any of her followers had experienced harassment in and around the craft beer scene. And I can't believe she could have imagined the, the response that she'd received. And so, so there was an extraordinary outpouring of reports. Some were quite general. Others were very specific about naming businesses and individuals. And Brienne's done a great job of curating that in a, a long series of stories. I think she's up to episode 14 or 15, I think, on a Instagram account now. And that was followed, I guess, within a week by a UK equivalent, which is run by a lady called Siobhan Buchanan. She's at British Beer Girl on Instagram, asked a similar question and has had a similar inflow of absolutely shocking reports. So I think you and I have both spent a bit of time looking into this and and reading the background to it. So I'd be really curious to get your thoughts on it. It seems to be that thing that bubbles under the surface within beer and it takes these very, very brave people to speak out. Right. It's sad to report, but it seems to be that this issue does rear its head quite a lot in, in beer. Yep. And I think that's just symptomatic of what beer or craft beer ultimately is, which is a very, very male-dominated industry. Right. There's behaviours that happen which are utterly unacceptable. And I think this is the real point now where it's gotten so much wider coverage that a systematic and fundamental change needs to happen within beer. Right. Um, I think we're just at the beginning of a fundamental shift in attitudes and standpoints when it comes to women in beer. I think we should be calling out the offenders and holding them to account for what they've done. Definitely. And it's taken about a month to actually attract mainstream media coverage, but that's actually happened in the past few days now. So it was it was obviously quite widely covered in the, the, the niche media circles that we move in, but it's yeah. uh, has recently, as I say, it's on the BBC website now, it's starting to get mass conversation and coverage, which, as you say, I think can only be a good thing. My view is that I think anybody with a conscience who cares about the future of craft beer, quite frankly, in the craft beer industry. And I'm not just talking about breweries, but the entire hospitality sector needs to 
I think firstly, read these posts. I mean, I, I guess a lot of people listening to this will be familiar with these posts, but I, I'm sure equally there's quite a lot of people who have either either not heard about it or chosen to ignore it. I think you really have an obligation to at least read the posts on both these Instagram accounts. And then secondly, I think everybody needs to ask themselves what they're personally going to do about it. What are you going to do to make things better? Yeah, it for sure. It's not necessarily about modifying your own behavior, although I think that probably applies to most people. But I'm sure not everybody. But it's not just about your own behavior and statements and actions. It's about being willing to call out other people when they're behaving in a way which just isn't reasonable or acceptable. And I think at the very least, we're all guilty of not speaking out when we should have done. Um, Definitely. I think that's the bare minimum. I think even as, as small as being brave enough within your friendship circle to yeah. to call out someone who's making an inappropriate comment about someone who's working in a bar or a or at a festival it's a daunting prospect to be on the end of what you could perceive to be a negative response from your friendship group yeah but if anybody that's not willing to change their behavior for the betterment of women and just people in general in the in the beer industry they're not your friends um, no. if they haven't earned your time um we're supposed to be a progressive industry and i think anybody who's unwilling to play a part in that progressiveness i think they can stay stuck in in their thoughts you can try and change them some people won't change unfortunately <clears throat> but you'd just like to change even if you change one person's perceptions and thought process then that's one less potential aggressor within the beer and hospitality section yeah um, i think people with a wider audience can do so much more to bring women in beer and hospitality up to highlight these people what a great job they're doing i know i can do a lot more to highlight the great things that women do in beer i guess from a podcaster's perspective you could possibly have more women Definitely. Um, on your podcast. Give them the audience and let them share these stories that a lot of them have been prior to now keeping very, very much under wraps. Yep. They need the audience and they need us to believe them. Definitely. As you're aware, I think we've only interviewed brewers on this podcast. We, uh, actually, with one exception, I had a lady from the uh, American Brewers Association. That's the only guest I've had um, on a, a weekly episode that's not been a brewer or a brewery representative and i have to confess I've, I've literally had one episode where i interviewed the two ladies who are the principal owners of drop bear in south wales actually of course uh, which is one of the uk's largest alcohol free breweries um, yeah. and i haven't had any other female guests uh, if there are people listening to this podcast who are working for breweries and be interested in coming on the podcast i'd invite them to reach out to me it's not that i've been avoiding having female guests so much as i'm just not aware of who the people i should be having on the podcast so it's almost yeah. like a self-perpetuating thing that each week i ask the guests to recommend me some other guests and they're mostly recommending their male mates who are running the <laughs> their local yeah. fellow brewers or whatever it's, it's been tricky for me to identify and i'm sure i can do more to actually go out and find the female brewers in the uk but i'm, I'm sort of perhaps being a bit lazy in making this call during this conversation yeah, that's the first step, is offering your platform up to women and mm. women in, in the industry. I hope someone does take mm. you up on the opportunity to express their experiences within the industry. I think you might get a different type of podcast out of it. Yeah. Um, whereas I've reported probably quite a similar story to <laughs> your, your previous however many episodes. It might be an interesting switch to the usual sort of narrative i think it'll be a really positive experience for you yeah absolutely i think you're underestimating the value of this conversation though Aaron. i've really enjoyed it and i think it's <laughs> and i'm always i'm actually amazed at how different the conversations are each week to week um that's part of the fascination for me i think that everybody's got a, a different background and a different approach and sure, a, different, sure. a different set of values that they're bringing to it but no I, I totally take your point which is it would certainly give a broader perspective on things and yep something that would hopefully make it an interesting listen for people yeah sure then we are into the home straight Aaron so let's sure. start with the shout out to the little guy 
And here I ask the guest to name a small local beer business. It doesn't have to be local to Mould, but local to North Wales, I guess, that you're particularly impressed by. That could be another brewery, a tap room, a pub, a restaurant, a cafe, a bottle shop, a beer business that's doing a great job promoting independent craft beer in North Wales. I really love what Gareth does at Mould Alehouse. He's introduced this beer into what previously was a very traditional cask-led yeah. community. Yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong, he, he still he still leads with a lot of cask. He, he has five cask lines on it at any given nice. time. Yeah. But he's introduced the idea of craft beer and yeah. the idea that you do pay a little bit more, you, you get really, really good stuff. He's, he's fantastic at what he does and long may he continue. Very good. All right. Well, I'll put a link. To, I'll, I'll dig their website out, put a link in the show notes so people can look them up next time they're in your area. And do, do they typically have follies in there? Uh, yeah, so they are our unofficial tap room. At the moment. Okay, brilliant. That was what um, I was so hoping they, you could they, say. They yeah. collect everything that we, that we produce every week. Brilliant. Um, so oh, that's great. They're, they're, they're a good source for our stuff out of our collection times. Perfect. All right. Well, that's great to know. Thank you. Then cool. we are at the wrap-up question. And here... I'd like you to tell me what would be your ultimate happy hour. Where would you be? Who would you be with? And what beer specifically would you be drinking? And there's a couple of qualifiers to this. This is non-COVID restricted. Okay. And it doesn't have to be coherent by what I mean. You could be on a desert island drinking a pint of Traxonoma, for example. The beer doesn't need to fit the location. You can mix and match. Okay. I would love to be in White Locks in Leeds. Okay. After a festival, uh, specifically that one that we were not allowed to announce, no, no. with all these amazing American hype brewers, mm. just watching them, and my girlfriend, obviously. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> just watching these these incredible hype brewers, looking at pints of, of Tim Taylor's Landlord and going, oh, how the hell do you brew this? And really freaking out over the flavour really of it, yeah. Out yeah, over yeah. traditional cask beer, yeah. Cool. I'm really happy with that as an answer, actually, because that is just something we might be able to experience in a few weeks' time. So, uh, so that's the first. That's the first ultimate happy hour. That's actually seems like it's almost within reach. So, uh, (laughs) so good answer. (laughs) Excellent. Then, Aaron, been an absolute pleasure. Likewise, I I haven't been blowing smoke by telling you how much I love Polish beers. I genuinely do love everything you guys do, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how it develops in the coming years. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Commencing in July 2021, This Week in Craft Beer will be running meticulously curated long weekend tours to the world's most exciting craft beer cities in partnership with some of the UK's leading craft breweries. Destinations for 2021 will include Copenhagen, New England, Brooklyn and Miami. If you fancy joining a small tour party led by a leading UK craft brewer as we experience a packed long weekend of meet the brewer and tutor tastings at some of the leading craft breweries on the planet, please pay close attention to our newsletter and website as we make new announcements each week throughout April and May. 